0: Hey everyone, before this episode, I want to let you know that if you've been enjoying the podcast, something that can really help Theezy's shit be discovered by other listeners is leaving a review on whatever app you're listening on, whether that be Apple, Stitcher, Anchor, etc. Leaving a review just helps that sweet, sweet algorithm. So please, help me please those algorithm gods. Thank you in advance, and I hope you enjoy this episode. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Theezy Ship, the podcast where we talk about race and racial issues here in America. I am your host, Ike Maunga. And if you're new to the podcast, uh, a little bit about me. I'm simply just a biracial American sharing my experiences, my realizations and my observations about my American experience. I was born here. I grew up in a town called Oceanside, California and now am displaced in Utah. (laughs) If you've been an avid listener so far, you'll probably realize that in past episodes, I have called out white people a lot. And one might even say that I've been unfair in how I I talk about white people. And I've kind of been feeling like I've been misrepresenting white people as a whole. I've called out a lot of patterns or a lot of uh, behaviors that I've experienced. um, But I am also very aware that these things that I've talked about in the past don't apply to all white people. And so I thought with today's episode and with Thanksgiving right around the corner, I actually want to give thanks to white people. I want to give them some credit, you know, because they've played a huge impact in my life. When I talk about things that I'm upset with white people on the show it's I don't want people to think that it's coming from a place of hatred it's anger for sure and I try to make my criticisms at least very very truthful and very personal you know my observations come from my my experiences but I don't hate white people And I think that's ultimately what I want people to take away from here. And I don't want this to be, like, a very, like, lazy and kind of watered down, like, "Uh, I don't hate white people. I just talk crap about them on my show for how long? No, I want this to be a genuine, like, apologetic realization of maybe some preconceptions that I have myself towards white people. And if I'm being completely honest, I didn't even really dislike anything about white people until I moved to Utah. And let me tell you, white people are different across the board. You know, if, if any stereotype that I push on this show about white people, um, that is a huge one is that they are definitely different across the board. Um, simply because I think there's, their culture is almost being a different culture within themselves you know a fine example would be like the two-party system i didn't realize how much republicans hate democrats when to me they were all white people but man if you ever talk to a republican about how much they hate a democrat uh i feel like their level of hatred goes like democrats and then black people and then other ethnic groups (laughs) That, of course, is a joke. Please please don't, like, shut me off just because I'm making a joke about what Republicans hating black people. I'm, I'm just ranting. But, I mean, my point is is that, like, whites have divided themselves into different groups. You know, it's almost like when they run out of people to persecute, they, like, start to hate themselves. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I know that I when I talk about white people, it is kind of in a general term. And I feel like I haven't been highlighting the positive side and the positive impact that white people have played in my life. And so, like I said, with Thanksgiving around the corner, I want to dedicate this one to the white folks. I want the white kids to like me for this one, you know, because ultimately like, I mean, like my my wife is white. You know, so obviously I don't hate white people. I, I love my wife very, very much. My mom is half white, which means that my grandma is full white, um, which makes me uh, not it makes me white. Like I am white, and I think I have a right to be mad at my my fellow white people. And I think that's maybe like part of my my anger towards them and and towards like racism in general is because I. Like I, I am white, and I, and I used to make this joke. I used to do this joke, this little like bit in uh, in high school for a while, where um, you know people would ask what I am, and I I totally knew what they were talking about. I knew what they were asking, so when they would ask me like, oh, like, well, what are you? I'd say I'm white, and they'd laugh. <laughs> no, no, like really, like you know, what are you? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm white. Oh, okay. Like, I'd be like, yeah, you know, I'd even elaborate. I'd be like, yeah, I got uh, English heritage. I have ancestors from England, Um, a little bit of Scottish in me. And uh, they would just have this blank face on them because what they saw was a brown man. They saw my skin color and couldn't accept the fact that I was white. That's, it's, you know, like I'm clearly messing with them. Like I, it it made me laugh about something that I feel like actually impacted me because like, why can't I identify as white? You know, why can't I be a white man? Even though it's true, I like nothing I said was false. I didn't pretend to like be white. I do have a little bit of English and I do have a little bit of Scottish in me. And that makes up a, a quarter of my race. And yet because my skin is brown, Nobody can see me as white. And this isn't to shame my like Samoan side. I'm not trying to like deny the fact that I'm Samoan. Again, it was just like a funny bit to me that I would do to people to kind of throw them off and at the same time, make them realize how f- silly racism is and how silly race is in general and how crippling my identity was <laughs> that I, I couldn't, I couldn't be white, no way could I be white. And it, it almost felt like in order to be white, I had to almost like prove it, you know? <laughs> I, I can make a joke that, you know, you, you really don't believe that I'm white, then then ask some Samoans, you know, ask some Samoans that I went to school with. They, they will tell you how white I am. They'll, I've been called whitewashed throughout my entire childhood just because of weird random things from Samoans that I like, maybe I didn't speak the language, or you know, I didn't hang out with the USOs. I don't even use Samoan slang. Like you know, I use dude more than I use USO, and a lot of a lot of Samoans that I went to school with saw that I was whitewashed, and I think that's that's why I kind of did that joke. It was it was like, okay, well, this is how the Samoans see me. This is how I'm gonna be. I'm I'm white, <laughs> and then and then when I tell that to a white person, they're like, no, you're not. You're not white, so now I'm not even accepted by by white people, you know, and um, and in order to like be accepted, I almost feel like I had to to give up my Samoanness. I think the only time that I've been seen as white is when I'm not seen at all, and they only hear my voice, you know. As a matter of fact, uh, quick example: I used to work pest control, and I worked with uh, a lot of um, Mexicans. Some of them you know uh english was their second language and part of the job is we had to like kind of call and confirm hey like we're gonna be here in in an hour we want to make sure that this is still like a good time to come by we're gonna be there in a little bit um you know make sure dogs are locked up and whatever you know and um the mexicans like they would always hand me the phone (laughs) and they're like hey like you you call the customer and, and it was crazy because I was like, I'm like the lowest of the low. Like, I don't think that I should be the one calling customers because I don't really like, I just started here two months ago, <laughs> but uh, they'd always hand it to me because they were like, you know, like you use your white voice, you know, use that white voice. And sure enough, when I called the customer, they for sure thought that they were speaking to a white man because when we'd pull up and they'd see me and a Mexican, they were like, where's the where's the white person I spoke to? <laughs> um, and then they tried to speak Spanish to me and I would just respond back like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I do not speak Espanol. I'd, I'd even up the whiteness a little bit. I'd be like, "Uh, yeah, no no, habla, no habla Espanol, you know, to them. And it would throw them off. But it's weird. Like, it's weird. It's a weird experience. Please put yourself in my shoes to where, like, I don't fit into either group because I'm neither one, you know. And I could talk a lot about not being accepted in the Samoan community. But today I just want to kind of focus on why I get so flustered when I see white people. And, And in turn, just kind of explain myself why I... I see them with such anger, but I also want them to know that it comes from love and that I don't hate them and that I've actually been positively impacted by white people. So, so yeah, I kind of feel like I am stuck in between two races and more often than not, it feels like I need to claim one and deny the other. And that's why it's so hard for me because I can't, I can't do that. I don't have it in me to, to deny either one. I, you know, I, I love my Samoan culture. I love what I've been able to gather. And I also love my white culture and what I've been able to gain from, you know, living in America and, and being born in America and reaping and, and wanting those desires and learning about white leaders in America and, and kind of having them be my inspiration. But it still feels like in order to claim that I need to deny the other part of me that makes me not white." It kind of reminds me of the scene in Django Unchained. For any of those that are unfamiliar with Django Unchained, it's a Quentin Tarantino film about a slave named Django who becomes a free man um, in search of his wife, and they it's it's so long. It's like almost a three-hour movie. I'm not gonna like su- here and summarize the entire movie. Go watch it though. It's an incredible movie about race. And so to give some context for this scene, um, in particular that I want to talk about, what ha- what is happening at this point is that they are trying to manipulate one of the most powerful slave owners in the South, and um, sorry, they being Django and Django's partner, um, who is a a bounty hunter. These two are, have been bounty hunters for like a whole season and they're like saving up enough cash and now they want to go rescue Django's wife. And they come up with this scheme to legally buy Django's wife. And so what they want to do is kind of manipulate this slave owner that they um, are actually looking for uh, like a Mandingo fighter. And then they are hoping to manipulate him to be like, oh, and you know, just as a cherry on the top, can we also buy this slave, which would be Django's wife? That way, they can like say that they legally bought her, and then uh, kind of sneak away from them. Now, in order to do this, they put on this ruse to play. Um, they play these, these these characters in search of like a Mandingo fighter, and so Django's partner, who is played by Christoph Waltz, uh, he plays the part of like somebody who's like rich and wants to buy a Mandingo fighter and Django plays the part of his you know expert opinion and his job is to kind of like help him pick the right black guy um, as their Mandingo fighter you know to make sure he's getting a good deal and Django even says it in in the movie that what he's asking, what what this um, Dr. Schultz is his partner, what Dr. Schultz is asking of Django is he is asking him to be something worse than quote unquote, a house nigger. And there is nothing lower than a house nigger. Meaning he ultimately needs to give up everything that makes him who he is. So his experiences as a slave, his experiences of being tortured by white people and separated from his wife and every struggle that he's went through he's gonna have to toss that out the window and become something that any black person would absolutely hate so that's a little bit of background of this scene that I want to talk about in Django and Chain, because at this point they have been found out prior to this scene Django has done a fantastic job of degrading other blacks. And as he's doing this, Calvin Candy, the, the slave that they're trying to manipulate and, and you know perform this ruse, um, starts to like him. He likes seeing Django, this black man, degrade other black people. And he even starts... To respect him a little bit, and you know, throughout these uh, set of scenes, this act, um, he constantly, you know, refers to Django as bright boy. You know, this is bright boy, and he starts being accepted. Now, before I go into the scene that I actually want to talk about, I definitely like understand that. That's obviously like a very exaggerated example of what I go through, but I kind of, I kind of relate to that because I, when I try to identify as white or when I try to be accepted by white people, I feel myself denying my Samoan side to do so. I feel like I have to act more white around white people, otherwise they won't like me. And yes, I don't think anybody's forcing me to. It's more of just a personal fear or subconscious thing that I I do to make myself more likable around white people. And I I even sometimes Degrade other Polynesians in the process. I'll I'll make a joke or you know that that kind of puts Samoans in a bad light just to entertain the whites, you know. But anyway, back to Django and Chains. So the scene that I really like and and it's a scene that really stands out to me. Number one because of the performances in general, but because of the ultimate results of of, of how this ruse plays out. So in this scene. Calvin Candy, the the massive slave owner, he pulls out a skull and he talks about this very outdated and like racist study that um, African-Americans or, you know, (laughs) blacks, black people uh, are have this have these dimples in their skull that makes them more submissive, which is why they can never rise up to take over a white man's power, you know. And um, I, I'm just going to go ahead and play the clip because I, I think I, can't, I cannot summarize it better than um, the way that it was professionally recited by Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, and the great thing about Tarantino movies is that they're pretty much audiobooks with great visuals. So for podcast listeners... I could just play the clip, and it'll make absolute sense. So here's
1: the, here's the clip that
0: I, I want to refer to.
1: Growing up the son of a, of a huge plantation owner in Mississippi puts a white man in contact with a whole lot of black faces. I spent my whole life here, right here, in Candleland, surrounded by black faces. I Seeing them every day, day in, day out, I, I only had one question. Why don't they kill us? <laughs> now, right out there on that porch, three times a week for 50 years, old Ben here would shave my daddy with a straight razor. Now, if I was old Ben, I would have... Cut my daddy's goddamn throat, and it wouldn't have taken me no 50 years to do it neither. (laughs) But he never did. Why not? You see, the science of phrenology is crucial to understanding the, the separation of our two species. In the skull of the African here, The area associated with submissiveness is larger than any human or any other subhuman species on planet Earth. If you examine... ...this piece of skull here... (laughs) ...you'll notice three distinct dimples. Here, here, and here. Now, if I was holding the skull of, a, of, a, of an Isaac Newton or, or Galileo, these three dimples would be found in the area of the skull most associated with creativity. But this is the skull of old Ben, And in the skull of old Ben, unburdened by genius, these three dimples exist in the area the skull most associated with. Civility. Now, bright boy, I will admit you are pretty clever. But if I took this hammer here and I bashed in your skull with it, you would have the same three dimples in the same place as old Ben. So with that
0: being said, and kind of taking this into my personal life, I feel like it's always an undermining thought about me, you know. The way that Calvin Candy saw Django was that he was bright, you know. He's, oh, you're a bright boy, you know, is is something that he would constantly say. And it almost seemed like he respected Django until this scene, until he brought up that Despite everything, you know, despite even Django being smarter than Calvin, you know, it's it's a it was like from an audience perspective, it's very clear that Django is smarter than Calvin. But even then. He brings up a study that black people are still are submissive, and this is this is the nature of things, you know, that if I bash your skull open you're still gonna have these dimples that make you less than me, and that's essentially what I feel like I go through when when trying to act white. And I I say act white, you know, because I I feed into those cultures of and you know what I think white people identify as and what I think white people like. I I I do. It's in the same respect where like when I'm around other Samoans, I I get a little more Samoan if this is making any sense, but like I start to talk differently and I do the same thing with white people. I do the same thing with white people because I am white. And this is how I feel like, Oh, this is how I can like connect with them. You know, this is how I can belong to a community that I actually have some DNA with, you know, that I share DNA and and ethnic and ancestry with them. This is how I can relate to white people. And then, At some point, it kind of feels like they see me the same way that Calvin Candy saw Django, that, yeah, he's a bright boy, but he's still not one of us. And so that's kind of the best way that I can describe where my anger comes from, because like Django, I feel like I need to submit what makes me Samoan in order to be more white, and uh, and then after I show how white I am, I still don't feel like I'm being seen as an equal. And I feel like what's, what's really kind of bringing this out is this holiday season, because as holidays come around, there are more interactions with, with family. As I mentioned before, my wife is white, and my in-laws, for the most part, have grown up around nothing but white people. And I knew this coming into the marriage and and, when I was like meeting the parents, I felt myself needing to be more white to prove to them that I was worthy enough to date their daughter. And again, it's nothing that they forced on me. This is just my subconscious coming into play and thinking, you know, oh, in order to charm the in-laws, I need to say some controversial stuff. (laughs) Things that I probably don't even fully agree with, but something that'll make them charmed by me let them know that I'm you know not like what they've heard of any any stereotypes they have of Simone's I'm I'm not like that and and I almost played the part and because of that now that my wife and I are two years into our marriage I feel like they don't really know who I am and that is absolutely frustrating for me that I You know, and I I put blame on myself because like I said, I came into this giving off that impression. I came into this showing them that like, hey, I'm not like other brown people you've probably experienced with, so you don't need to hate me. And I used it as like a disarming tactic that now I'm stuck in a situation where they don't know me. And so my frustration comes from the way that they talk about people that I closely identify with. During George Floyd's uh, murder and the protests that went on after that murder, they shared a lot of opinions that I I could not agree with. I absolutely could not agree with, and they would t- openly talk about race in a, in a way that I didn't like. That I just I genuinely didn't like, and it and it made me wonder. Okay, so I've built this, you know, this this relationship with my in-laws, but then they talk about people that I identify with in this way, and so it makes me a little suspicious of what they really think of me. In a in a very much less dangerous way, this is how I imagine Django felt. Now, obviously, that was a life-or-death situation, and I don't feel that my life is at risk, but it does make me kind of think that. They like me, don't they? I I assume that they like me, or is it the fact that they just like me? So long as I'm white, but then other groups like Black Lives Matter, where I I support that because that's kind of closer to what I identify with. You know, when I I think you know I've mentioned this in, in the past that like when George Floyd was murdered, I identified closer with George Floyd, and that's why I have so much sympathy towards that. But when they see it. They don't see that. As a matter of fact, they, they kind of dislike Black Lives Matter. Uh, dislike is putting it very lightly. They hate the movement. They hate it. They think that it's racist. I'm like, that's racist? But because they hate it so much, again, it puts this suspicion that I, like, okay, so do they do they like me? Do they even like me? Do they even know me? It's frustrating. It's frustrating, and this is why I use this podcast as an outlet to talk about how I feel about white people. But again, it's not, it's not from hatred. It is definitely, th- like the, what I have said on the show about white people, definitely comes from anger. But it is not hatred. It is just me wanting better from white people. Because I am white. Even if they don't see me like them, I still see them like me. But like I said, I I have been unfair to white people. I have been angry. I have been angry on the show. And I kind of want to dedicate this time and this episode to share my thanks for white people because I don't do it enough. And uh, I am thankful for white people. Shortly after we recorded that last episode about the election, Dave Chappelle hosted Saturday Night Live and gave one of the best monologues on that show. And something that he said on that show will will definitely stand out for me. And what he said was that he was talking about white people in today's current climate that he that they, they they might start to feel some similarities that the African communities have felt for a very long time. For example, he said, you know, if you're a police officer and you put on your uniform and you feel like you have a target on your back, believe me, I know how that feels. And then he went on to say that the difference is that between, he said, he said that the difference between you and me is that you guys hate each other for that when I don't hate anybody. I just hate that feeling. And that was so powerful to me hearing that because that, that summed up exactly how I felt. How I feel. That I, d- I don't hate white people. I really don't. But I, I hate this feeling and these like suspicions that I have on what they think of me. And I don't like it. And then that, again, that's like the whole reason why I'm starting this podcast to, to kind of explain how I feel, especially being biracial, that my American experience is much different than white people but i really want to talk about like how thankful i am you know despite my anger despite how i feel despite the things that i have said on the show about white people i really want to dedicate this episode to thanking the the good white people that have impacted my life i want to i want to thank them For those of you that don't know, I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, You might know them as Mormons or have heard them called Mormons. We actually prefer the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I totally understand that that is a mouthful. But yeah, so anyway, my religion, my faith, it's predominantly white. You know, even though it is a a global faith, um, it did start in America during the 1800s. And uh, naturally it's just, it's filled with a lot of white people. And within this church and within this religion, I have had an absolutely wonderful experience with some white people. I'm talking about bishops who have counseled me through some very dark times in my life, who have helped me overcome some challenges that I faced, who have helped my family with a welfare program that put food on our tables, that literally put food on our tables and uh, helped us pay rent. And specifically, some young men leaders that have really impacted my life and have, have given me an opportunity that I don't think many kids of my skin tone and of my parents' economic status that I would have ever gotten. You know, I've I've had young men's leader who have extended their, their white privilege, if I so put it. They have extended their white privilege and have allowed me to benefit from some of that. You know, I got to... When I was in Young Men's, and for those of you who are unaware, it's it's essentially like a youth group, you know, uh, boys from ages 12 to 18 go do activities, um, scouting events, service projects, etc. And um, amongst those activities, I've gotten to go like wakeboarding, you know, I've gotten to go snowboarding and I've gotten to like camp out on a boat, you know, and go camping in Yosemite. I got to do these really, really cool experiences that I don't think I would have had otherwise had I not been in this church and been treated so kindly by these white people. And even outside of my religion, even in in school, I went to El Camino High School, which, I mean, like, people call it Oceanside Ghetto. I really don't think it's that ghetto, um, at least not during my time there. But, uh... You know that it's a little <laughs> but I I had this drama teacher who kind of in the same light as like my young men's leader they she she was pretty well off and she allowed me to experience things that I don't think I would have been able to experience she she reached out to a young dark kid like me and got me into theatrical arts and she had me perform at theater festivals, and she had me, you know, she she paid for all these for me, you know? I got to be able to show my film at a film festival, and she paid for that entry fee. She paid a lot for me just to have these experiences. I got to travel for a video competition, travel to Florida. Things that I never thought that I would have been able to do, you know, because... Those field trips cost money. And I I knew that I couldn't ask that of my parents because we were poor, you know, we we were poor. And that's not something that we can really just throw out there. And yet this teacher saw me, not as like a brown boy, not not that I needed like any saving or anything. She just saw me for who I was and reached out and helped. And I thank her for that. I wanna, you know, and I, I, I'm talking about like rich white people, but even, even just some of my friends you know some of my white friends who have just accepted me into their homes and allowed me to sleep over or hang out and just kind of be a part of their family for a day who who have accepted me in a very non like white savior type way it's just they they just see me as who I am and had me over it. and that was that's cool I like that and even though i talk crap about utah a lot i have had i've met some great white people here in utah as well i've made some genuine friends who who have seen me for you know my talent and have hired me on to with, with their creative projects and who see the talent that i have and just you know want to chat about that and it's almost like my race doesn't come up and that's honestly It's it's what's so helpful for me to kind of trust and um, let go of my suspicions towards towards people where I I can truly start to be myself and my race hardly comes up and I even want to thank my in-laws now I know I I just kind of complained about them you know but who who doesn't complain about their in-laws am I right (laughs) but um, even my in-laws you know I. Yes, I have suspicions about what they think about me based on what they say about groups that are similar to me. And those are personal problems that, you know, they can work out and and hopefully they will realize how I feel. And I feel like I can talk so openly about my in-laws because I don't think any of them will listen to this podcast. But um, if they are, you know, shout out to you. If you're my in-law and you're listening to this right now, shouts out to you. (laughs) <laughs> and thank you very much for supporting and trying to understand my mind, but I am, I am thankful for them. I really am. I, I may complain about them in past episodes or even in future episodes, but ultimately I do love them because they have been extremely kind to me in um, helping me out and helping my wife out um, and treating me like I'm family. And of course i want to thank my wife she is a fantastic example and a wonderful mother to my child and has treated me with such kindness which is why i ultimately married her because she had such a non-judgmental mind and saw me again for just who i was and i don't even know if she knew that i was Samoan. i don't even know if she had even met a Samoan before me she's fantastic and that's another reason to thank my in-laws is that Her upbringing, you know, whether directly or indirectly influenced by my in-laws, made her who she is today. I can thank them for that. I can thank them for, I can thank my parent-in-laws for, uh, for raising such a fine daughter to be my wife. Even outside of my personal life, I know that there are great white people out there, and even the ones who we may label as racists just right off the bat just because they don't understand. I I feel like even they are, are nice people. You know, I feel like there's this constant divide that seems so pressured to just have this us versus them mentality. But to be honest, even white people who I find racist when I'm brought to their face and we have a conversation, it's more understandable. Not sorry, not their racist, not that their racism is more understandable, but them as a person is more they're they're more understandable and they're more much more reasonable than you know the portrayal of just every white person's a racist, you know? And I think I need to be more careful about my language because it's not that white people are racist, it's that racists are racist, you know? And if they just so happen to be white. <laughs> But I feel like among white people, racism is a very loose term. And that's where we need to start the discussion is what is defined as racism and how I'm going to quote Eric. He was a guest on our show um, on the last episode, but he's right. It's, it's, it's like a, um, racism is, is a system. It's a culture that needs to be destroyed. It's not these acts of, you know, these events. That is like racism. I mean, those are there's racist events, but racism is a system. It's a culture. And talking to white people who may seem racist just don't understand the culture that they
1: are a part of, but it doesn't make them racist Okay, real
0: quick, I had to pause the recording because um, I'm actually recording this episode in my parent-in-law's car. Uh, just a quick, like, <laughs> this is just a quick tangent. Um, so my, parent, my uh, parent-in-laws, they, uh, is that even the right term? I, I don't even, parent-in-laws? It just seems my mother and father-in-law, I guess. Like, mother and father-in-law sound right. For some reason, parent-in-law don't. Anyway, my mother and father-in-law, they run a storage management site. And unfortunately, one of their storages got demolished because this drunk driver came at like this roundabout at about like 100 miles an hour, went airborne through five storages and destroyed them. <laughs> uh, it's not funny, but it's it's kind of funny. Anyway, so they destroyed them. And so I am here right now. It's about... Like 6 o'clock in the morning, I ha- I stayed here all night to, like, watch this stuff because they can't, you know, this is Sunday morning, they can't, um, contact anybody to, like, clean this up or secure it off until Monday, so they're paying me to just kind of, like, watch over the stuff, um, Anyway, the reason why I brought this up is because here, like, as I was just talking about how there were some great white people, this white lady came up to me and just bought me breakfast and got me a coffee. I don't even drink coffee, but, man, the gesture is so nice. I might as well. I feel bad not drinking it, but I, I probably won't. But anyway, like, wow, so kind, so nice. That's cool. That's cool maybe she th- she regretted it when she saw that I was brown I don't know but I don't think so I think she's just a nice lady a nice white lady I had a nice white lady buy me breakfast that is that is my th- she is my last on my last list of like thanks like that is that's where I gotta close it off because man that was such a kind gesture holy moly I gotta close out this episode to just say my thanks of white people in general and I hope that If you're a listener of mine and you're white, like, please don't think that I I hate you. You know, I I would actually want to talk to a lot of white people because I want to I want my main audience to be white, because I think a lot of things that I talk about are things that that can help white people understand ethnic groups that I also feel that I belong to. And that's how I see my biracial like setup here is it's because I, I see it as like a link a link between these two cultures that seems so divided just from the way that it's so pressured. I see it as a way to connect them both. I see me as that connection to both because I, I love both my Samoan side and both my white side. And that's why I get so flustered is because I love white people a lot that when I see them acting in, in a way that I thought we were past it, Frustrates me, but it's not out of hatred. I am thankful for white people. I am thankful for that white lady that just bought me breakfast. That was dope. Um, I'm thankful for my white wife. I'm thankful for my white in laws. I'm thankful for the white young men leaders that have helped me. I'm thankful for the white teachers that have given me opportunities. I'm thankful for white people. And you know who you are. You know who you are who have. It impacted my life positively. With this Thanksgiving, I dedicate my thanks to you guys. Thank you, white people. And I know that that's a term that you probably don't hear a lot now these days. So let me just say it. Say what's what's on my mind. Thank you, white people. You guys are great. Have a lot of work to do. Don't get me wrong. Don't think I'm going to go soft. But I I also want you guys to know that I appreciate you. And hopefully, one of these days, you'll see me as white, too. (laughs) Anyway, I'm about to enjoy this breakfast that this woman bought me. So thank you for listening to Theezy's Ship. And we'll see you next time.
1: Yeah.